Hey everybody, this is Terry Mayo, author and creator of the comic book called Buddy, and you are listening to The Nerd Byword. Welcome to the Nerd Byword, where we love all things nerdy. I'm Dave, here with my buddy Chris, and we're ready to deliver another hour of nerdy goodness. Today, we will be joined by writer and creator Terry Mayo to talk about his upcoming comic book, Buddy. But first, the news. Chris, what you got? Well, let's talk about a mental organism designed only for killing. I mean, MODOK. Uh, Patton Oswalt's MODOK is coming very soon, May 21st, to Hulu, and uh, I saw a, a trailer for this, and it looks basically, Dave, like Robot Chicken set in the Marvel Universe, or maybe even like Celebrity Deathmatch set in the Marvel Universe, and I'm super excited for this. So in an interview about the show, star and co-creator Patton Oswalt was asked about playing MODOK um in the the live action mcu and he said quote are you kidding that'd be freaking awesome if we played modok live action oh my god i would love it plus it's an acting job where i get to sit down the whole time are you kidding i'd love that so <laughs> this is also just a way for me to say that i'm super excited about this show coming out like the cast looks incredible you got nathan fillion the god Whoopi goldberg Bill Hader and John Hamm playing Iron Man. Like this show is so, it, it looks so good and I can't wait for it. And even the idea, the prospect of him playing Modoc is just pitch perfect. I love Patton Oswalt's work. I miss him on MST3K, which I actually was proud to back and they successfully funded that. So I'm, I'm, this, I'm just nerding out, man, because I, I'm so excited for all of this. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Patton Oswalt's kind of in general. I mean, the man is a nerd's nerd. He gets this world because he's one of us. And I invariably love his stand-up material when he goes full nerd on an audience that sometimes doesn't quite know what to do with that. Now, I'm at least somewhat familiar with MODOK, and Oswald seems like an inspired casting choice for an animated version. Would I like to see him in, uh, take on the role live action? You betcha. I'm totally here for this. Now, I will also say, though, Chris, that you said something that just gave me goosebumps. I have not thought about Celebrity Deathmatch in years. <laughs> what Kickstarter do I have to back to bring that yes! sucker back? <laughs> oh, my God. That was the one I used to sneak around in elementary school watching because it was too, too, old. Yeah, it was too mature for my age. Oh, it was it was such a fantastic show. Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> on, that, on that show, constantly inventing stuff and 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 running commentary is is really really fantastic show. Man, I wish they would bring that one back, Chris. Yeah, for sure. Now, Dave. Oh boy, you got some news that I'm kind of conflicted about. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not conflicted. Um, I can tell you that. So Sony just dropped a trailer for Venom Let There Be Carnage, a title with so much cringe it might actually need to go on a cringe diet. So this is the follow-up to 2018's Venom starring Tom Hardy. 
Now, Venom, of course, is the sometimes villainous, sometimes heroic character who originated in the Spider-Man comic books. Eddie Brock is bonded to an alien symbiont who gives him Spider-Man-like powers. Now, the sequel is set to introduce Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy, who bonds with Venom's offspring, already kind of weird, to become the villainous Carnage, one of Spider-Man's most violent and deadly villains. Now, confession time, Chris, I was not a huge fan of 2018's Venom. Uh, It felt like a movie that was stuck in some kind of old, forgotten, movie-making limbo. It was almost as if the 90s kind of manifested themselves in the the 2010s and made a Venom movie. I'm also not a huge fan of taking characters that should be connected to to Spider-Man's universe and spinning them off into some non-Spidey world. Part of what makes Venom compelling is his relationship to Spidey and his origin story. And there's something just missing from the character without that connection. So the trailer for the sequel, well, it looked like more of the same. It left me pretty cold, Chris. Unless we decide to review the sucker for the byword, I may skip this one altogether. It's a shame, too, because I think Tom Hardy has inspired casting for Venom, and Woody Harrelson as uh, Cletus Cassidy is actually really good casting, too. The overall tone of the movie, though, the choices they've made creatively with the first one, man, it, it just doesn't work for me. I mean, it, it, it doesn't necessarily jump the shark, but it certainly drowns in, in the tank of, of, of fish and crabs or whatever. What are you thinking, Chris? Yeah, so... Full disclosure, I've never been a huge symbiote fan to begin with, but the best symbiote stories I I the ones that I enjoy the most are when Spider-Man is directly involved in them because the whole idea of Venom is is completely born of Peter Parker and it's like what if you had the same powers but like in the wrong like it, it it's spider-man without like the moral code and and venom is like the 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 yang to the yin the darkness of the light you know if that makes sense like it's the great power without the responsibility exactly so like without that kind of frame of reference it doesn't work and i i enjoyed the first venom more than i thought that i would i went in with absolutely zero expectations i thought it was going to be an absolute tire fire a la green lantern a la fan four stick um so i was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't that awful um and if i completely divorce myself from any kind of spider-man centric expectations it's okay uh a lot of the humor didn't land with me i thought they were just kind of doofy jokes um and and then so i i I would give that movie probably a six out of a ten if i'm being generous however also i have to be completely uh keep everything on the up and up i was inebriated when i watched it and that may have helped the alcohol content may have helped my my enjoyment of it but um you know this this trailer did even less for me it did absolutely nothing um the choices that they made the footage that they chose the quotes that was supposed to be like oh my goodness did nothing for me i i literally had no reaction whatsoever also it's kind of hard to buy into anything when you just have like the same villain but he's a different color 
Like it, it really just feels like we're playing with the color wheel here of the symbiotes. If for no other reason, then he fought a symbiote at the end of the first film. So you kind of put the cart before the horse and then it's supposed to be something different here. Like I, I'm hoping that there's more meat on the bone when we get to the actual film. I'll probably watch it just because it's a superhero movie. Again, my my expectations are in the negatives. They're not even zero now. Um, I've enjoyed a lot of things that Woody Harrelson's in. Um, particularly, I, I enjoyed him in the solo film. I thought he was one of the strongest points of that film. And, and people crap on that movie way too much. Um, but I'm, I know I'm rambling a lot. I, I just this movie does absolutely nothing for me and it's just a tangled mess. And Sony, I, I don't know what they're doing. Like he, it, it's a mess because then you create all this. Is it in the MCU? Is it not? It's all complicated. And the only reason that we kind of buy anything is because we've seen umpteen Spider-Man films and we kind of get it. Even the general population, even if we don't see it in the film, I guess that helps itself, but it doesn't, that's, that's not you showing anything. That's not you doing anything well. It's just like common knowledge. So I'm super not excited for this movie at all. So, so two things here, Chris, number one, I would watch green lantern over the first venom movie any day of the week. And I think that that should definitely explain how I feel about Venom because the Green Lantern movie was not good. And as a huge fan of Green Lantern, I was severely let down by it. But Venom, oof, it just rubbed me the wrong way in about every possible way. Two, I think there's a cut of this movie that I can really get behind. Are you familiar with the song by Weird Al Yankovic, White and Nerdy? Have you ever seen... Uh, the uh, the cut of that video that is literally just him with Donny Osmond dancing in the background for the entire length <laughs> of the song. I think so. So if you've never seen that, I highly recommend it. That is the cut of Venom that I want. I want a cut of Venom that is literally just Tom Hardy acting goofy without the special effects. Because I cannot imagine what some of those moves looked like before they added the special effects in. The first Venom movie felt like an extended excuse for Tom Hardy to make a complete idiot out of himself and everybody on the set just kind of snickering at him and saying, yeah, yeah, it's going to look great when we put the special effects on Tom. It's, it's going to be great. Even with the special effects, it did not look great. Um, but that cut of Venom without the special effects, I think would be incredibly entertaining, Chris. I, I will also say Riz Ahmed was horrendously underused in that film. And he's a talented actor. I mean, like he's Academy Award nominated and it's just crazy that you have all of these acting talents and like, it's just wild to me. Like the misuse of, of that. Ugh. I noticed that you did not want to watch Fran Forstick again. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not touching that movie with a 10 foot pole or, or, or 14 foot pole, or I'm just not touching that movie ever again. Or, or with stretchy arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's. I, I felt like clobbering somebody after I watched that movie. I'll tell you that. All right, well, folks, that's it for nerd news. Let's go ahead and get going with the byword big talk. After a brief break, we're here with Terry Mayo, and we'll talk about a fantastic upcoming comic book that blends The Exorcist and Milo and Otis. Terry Mayo and Buddy are up next. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, ladies and gentle people, welcome back to the Byword Big Talk. Today, we have a special guest, uh, author and comic book creator Terry Mayo is joining us today to talk to us about his uh, upcoming Kickstarter for the new comic book, Buddy. Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, we always like to start our interviews with our guests, what we like to call our nerd origin story. When did you first realize that you were, well, a nerd, and what were your strongest influences? Oh, man, I think I was born with it if it wasn't. (laughs) Before I could walk and speak, I'm sure I was nerding. Um, you know, I, my, one of my earliest memories, uh, my two earliest memories, one was waiting in the lobby with my uh, parents to watch Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and then my next one was sitting in the theater to watching E.T. So those two memories kind of built upon this like whole movie fandom. Um, and then right or a little bit after that, my mom brought home just a box of comic books, like early 70s, like uh, Jonah Hex and you know, Sergeant Rock and stuff. And uh, probably from that point on, that had to be a good five, six years old, which I don't know why she was given a five-year-old Jonah Hex. But still, um, <laughs> from about that point on, I was all into comic books. So what set you on the path then towards being a writer and creator of, of your own comics? Uh, well, you know, in the, in the early 90s, eh, mid-90s, I guess, I moved out to California with the dream to be like, you know, Quentin Tarantino-esque. And so I, I, I wrote and sold a couple of spec screenplays, uh, but never really, you know, m- made it big and they never turned in anything. You know, you sell them and then they just kind of sit on a shelf somewhere. But uh, but I always was into comic books, always writing comic books, always writing stories. Uh, so I guess it would have to be right around the time that like uh, Walking Dead came out for Image. Uh, that that I was like, you know what? I really this is this is an awesome medium. It's kind of grown to that grown up audience. Uh, at least I at, at the time I thought that I was going to be all sophisticated, uh, and now here I am writing a book about a pug. But um, but but it was right around that time. What is that? Early two thousands when I was like, you know, I could do this. I think I could do this. And it took about five years to to get humbled enough to be like, you know, this is really hard. <laughs> uh, and then and then you know and then. Lo and behold, I have a couple titles under my belt, and now I'm working on another one. Now, uh, have you uh, had any success in the comic book biz? Have you written any other comic books before, buddy? What, uh, besides, you know, those couple of spec scripts, have you uh, had a chance to write so far? Yeah. um, Well, the spec scripts uh, sold to Disney in the 98, 99. And they were, you know, you're just like your your normal Disney Channel-esque type shows that they were had around that time there was nothing of substance but you know they you sell them and it, during that time they were they were buying it felt like they were buying everything they get their hands on and just hoping something would turn out uh but i you know quickly learned that that just wasn't my avenue and i didn't enjoy it as much as i thought i would um but comic books right around 2015 ish uh i was doing web comics for a while and kind of putting them out online and they all were terrible, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, right around 2015, 2016 ish, uh, is when I did my first series called the wicked righteous. And it ended up being about a 12, it was two, two mini series, uh, six, six issues each. Um, and then I, right around the same time, maybe a year after that, uh, disposable legends with the T pub comics out of the UK, uh, some, some short story comics here and there. Uh, Buddy would be my third uh, miniseries out. Uh, so, 
Yeah, I've written a few things, but they've all kind of the genre has just been all over the place. But this is my first comic that's I guess considered like an all age, even though it's dealing with like exorcisms and stuff like that. So that brings us to Buddy, uh, the, the reason we're here today. So what's the, quote, elevator pitch for this comic? <laughs> the very, very short escalator pitch is that it's Milo and Otis meets the exorcist. Uh, and it's basically about this, this goofy little pug whose home has been infiltrated by evil, and he takes it upon himself to defend the home. So this... this um... Exorcist meets Milo and Otis. What what inspired you to bring together two so very different genres uh, in, in one story? Right. Um, you know, I'm 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 big into horror. Like I said earlier on, I I've always been like, what is it, a cinephile, and I enjoy movies. Even bad movies are good movies to me. It's kind of like ice cream. There's no bad flavor, at least in my opinion. Uh, so all about the horror movies. And I had a pug uh, a few years back named Buddy, uh, and he was just the most annoying, like want to strangle this dog every single day kind of dog. Uh, and I was like, Oh my gosh. So um, I have eight boys of my own. So back at the time, whenever I wrote this story, I had four boys. And so I would tell them stories as we would be driving about, you know, four brothers, yada, yada, yada. And then when we got buddy, I would add buddy into the stories as we're driving and, you know, and then buddy would come and save the world and blah, blah, blah. And so these kind of stories have always been something that I told as I drove like cross country. And it just kind of evolved into like, you know, this would be really cool to write. And I bet other people would, would like to see this too. So started writing it with Dave Schwartz, the, the, the artist about two years ago. Um, yeah. And it, it's, 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 it's been getting some pretty good traction. Uh, so, so you mentioned Dave uh, Schwartz, the artist. Um, how did, how did you get him involved in the project? How did you all kind of come together and what makes him write for this book? Uh, Dave and I met, he had a book, uh, through Alterna comics, uh, and at the same time that I was doing the wicked righteous. And so he, he was the, um, author and he, but he also is a really good artist. Um, and so I just, I asked him, Hey Dave, would you, would you be down to like do some short stories for the wicked righteous? At the time there was these anthologies that they had. So we would, we plugged about four short stories for the wicked righteous in those anthologies and just work with each other and we work really well together. It's kind of like a yin and yang type relationship. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, his art style is like, it's not cartoony, but it's at the same time, it's more like whimsical. I feel like, which I feel like is perfect for this, this world that Buddy's set in. Uh, so it's, it really is a good team. I feel like. Now you, you mentioned that you're a big fan of the horror genre and mm -hmm. I would be remiss as a big horror fan myself, if I wasn't going to ask you, what are, what are sort of your top three favorite horror movies? Ooh, you know, and I, it, it spreads out because I guess um, there's so many subgenres, right? So I, I do dig into like the, the kid in me. Uh, one of the first horror movies I ever saw was night of the living dead, the, the black and white one from the sixties. Uh, so, I mean, even though it's probably not, it doesn't withstand the test of time, it's still probably one of my favorites. And I still, to this day, will get like goosebumps whenever they have like, the radio playing and, or the TV playing. And it's kind of telling you the world outside as it devolves, but you're not really seeing it, but you're experiencing it through the TV. I mean, there's, it's magical the way they do that and, and, and it still hits you. Uh, so I'd have to say that one for sure. Um, the exorcist, uh, it still scares me to this day. Like when she'll walk out of the room and turn off a light, I guess spoiler alert. I don't know if somebody hasn't seen the exorcist yet. I don't know. 
But um, <laughs> when she turns off the light and you like just a flash of like the demon's face and you're like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't want to walk out. I don't want to walk in the dark now. So, cause I'm scared. Um, and then I guess the third one, gosh, it's such a toss up cause they're hard to, you know, I was a big fan. I know, it, I know it had its uh, critics, but I really did enjoy heredity. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go with that one. As far as like the, the newer of the ones, I'll stick with that one. Just the, I mean, my kids and I would go back and forth doing that tongue clicking thing for, for <laughs> probably a month or two. So I guess a movie that can stick with you that long, it's got to mean something. So, so Dave and I are very much, uh, and we kind of hinted at this, you know, before we hit the record button, but Dave and I are, Dave and I are very much both nerds, but also kind of like a Felix and Oscar type of like odd couple uh, in that he is very much like a, a horror savant and I'm very much a horror noob. I, I was kind of traumatized seeing Jurassic Park at, at four <laughs> years old. And so, like, I, I wrote anything that was remotely scary off. And so um, one of our, our fans suggested last October, you guys really need to, to dive more into the horror genre. I think that this is a, a real niche that you're missing out and, and would reach a lot of fans. I was like, Oh God, here we go. So <laughs> um, what we did is, is uh, we did like the nerd nightmare, uh, you know, with, and Dave made me watch like three or four seminal films. The last one wasn't really, uh, you know, the most seminal, but like, you know, and night of the living dead was one of the first ones that we okay. watched and, and so it's it's funny that you bring that one up. So um, I also saw that like George A. Romero has like this lost film. Have you seen anything about that? Uh, you know, I did. I, I, I ran across it briefly and I didn't know if it was clickbait or what it was, but I, I did see something like that. Uh, gosh, what do they call it? Like Revolt of the Dead or something uh, like Twilight that? Twilight of the Dead is Twilight. what I'm seeing here in the in the news of, of Google, just a quick Google search. Yeah. yeah, man, I would, I would, I'm all over the zombie genre. And I know like a lot of those things are like just, you know, mind numbing and, and, you know, popcorn movies at this point, but when they're done well, they're, I mean, they can stay with you for a minute. Um, how did you feel about nightmare on, or nightmare, uh, night of the living dead? Night of the living dead. Um, I was so pissed when they killed Ben at the end. Like he was <laughs> the only one with any common sense. Like when everybody else died, I was like, yeah, you deserve that. And I could mm -hmm. kind of see where like the tropes of horror movies had built. And so like, you know, we both have a background in history, Dave and I. So I was just like, as a historian, I was just like, that makes sense. That lines up. I, I can mm -hmm. see where these things are building, but you know, and then like, he gets killed at the end when he's the only one that had any kind of sense. And I'm like, Oh my God, here we go. So yeah, that was my overarching reaction. Like this dude is a and he's so awesome. But like, why did he have to die at the end? That's such trash. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave, the exorcist is the other one that keeps coming up when we have horror folks on. So I think that might be, you know, first on our list next October. I do believe so. It's been a hot second since I watched it, but it really does stick with you. It does. It really does. Yeah. I mean, it, it popped up on my feed for like a Showtime or HBO or one of those channels. And, it, you know, it's hard to move past it because it's like, oh, I really want to watch this right now. But yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Now, I'm very interested about the, um, the sort of the visual, you know, language of the book in perusing some of the, the pages. As you mentioned, there is a very um, not necessarily cartoony, but very much like an all ages vibe to the art. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's a very um, sort of mature 
uh, subject matter and the whole idea of, you know, exorcism and demonic possession and all that. How, mm-hmm. how did you go about finding the right tone uh, with with Dave for, for not just the writing, but for also, also for the art to kind of straddle that line between something that looks all ages, but at the same time has sort of a horror undertone to it? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I would have to, I guess, attribute that to the fact that of having so many kids and they're all boys and, you know, I mean, kids are smart and, you know, you're not going to get anything past them. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to dumb anything down for them nowadays, especially in the age of like internet and social media and YouTube, and they can watch any video they want to anytime. So I, I, I didn't want to, uh, try to sneak anything past them. Uh, and at the same time, you know, it's, I, it goes back to, the movies that I watched when I was younger and growing up watching, you know, like I said, I was five, six, seven, eight years old watching Children of the Corn and stuff. And it just, it's, and maybe that's bad parenting on my parents' part. I don't know, but, <laughs> but that's what I was watching. And, um, and just trying to meld all that together and be like, you know what, this is, this is an all ages book. Anybody can read it that wants to. It's not going to have nudity. It's not going to have bad language, but there is going to be some, you know, scary topics in there. And I think there's a reason that like books like, uh, you know, stories to tell in the dark or scary stories to tell in the dark or uh, the Goosebumps books. I think there's a reason that they do so well is because children are drawn to that kind of thing. Adults are drawn to that kind of thing. Um, so I, I really didn't want to hide anything as far as like the, the the subject content, but at the same time, make it, you know, what it is. When Dave, when Dave initially drew the pages, they were a little bit darker. Uh, they had, a, there was a little bit darker vibe to it. And I was like, well, let's light it. Let's lighten it up. Let's, let's see how it looks lightened up. And we both liked it. We both enjoyed it. So right or wrong, <laughs> I guess that's what we're stuck with now. Is that, is that buddy in the background that we hear? <laughs> I don't know who that, whose dog that is. <laughs> yeah, there's some dog barking in the background. That's not buddy. <laughs> um, it, it's funny that you say that about kids. Uh, we both teach like middle school age kids and that that's exactly right. And, and my, you know, my own son is, is just like that as well. And I think, uh, of like five nights at Freddy's and stuff like that. And like, mm-hmm. he just walks around and he's talking about it constantly. It's like to the point ad nauseum to where he's like, can I tell you all about the lore like in the mythology <laughs> of this entire universe? Like, can we take a break? I feel like you are the televangelist of five nights at Freddy's right now, man, like take a step back. So it's really funny that you say that and it really hits home with me. Yeah, no, I mean, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it, it, I, that was a purposeful decision just to kind of see, just to, just to put it out there, put it out there for what it is and, and then run with it. Okay. So let's talk about the Kickstarter itself for buddy. Uh, what are your goals uh, and what kind of rewards do you have for backers? Uh, the, the initial goal. So the, 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 the achievement goal, whatever is 5,000. Uh, I'm at, I think about 4,500 right now, or maybe a, probably a little less. Uh, last time I checked, I got an email today saying that we achieved the project we love status. So that was nice to hear. So we have 25 days left. It's been active for what, about four days now. Um, we have variant covers by Stan Yak and Kelly Williams, um, all up there on, uh, on the Kickstarter site. Uh, Emily Pearson, they're, artists for like vault and, and some of the bigger publishing uh, companies we got trading cards because again uh, growing up i was big into collecting everything so back in the 90s they had these marvel trading cards right uh and one of my favorites was always the Deathlock rookie card <laughs> so so I, t- I took that as inspiration and buddy's got his own like marvel-esque rookie card that you can add on uh enamel pins with buddy buddy's full figure on it and 
logo stickers, st stuff like that. But some of the cooler stuff, uh, which of course is, you know, you, you pay for what, you know, what you get, but um, Dave will do some commission work for you. So if you pick out a, any character from anywhere, anybody, he'll, he'll do a sketch for you. Um, we're giving away pages of the book. So like uh, on the, on the boards that he draws them on, we're giving those away. Well, I guess not giving them away, we're selling them. Um, what else? Oh, and the chance to be in the book. So there's a couple characters that we have uh, that we're still waiting to give, you know, a body to. So we're, uh, yeah, we put that in the Kickstarter. So if you want to be in the buddy universe, we're, we're waiting to draw you in. It's a fantastic reward right there. Yeah, it would be fun. It'd be cool. We've done it a few times with like the Wicked Righteous. And it was really cool because, <laughs> and I don't know if it's just what it is. I, I don't know what it is, but I always plan. I'm like, okay, this is going to be like a, a, a background character and it's going to be really detailed. And, and th these characters that I have like people have paid to be in, I'm like, they end up getting like main, <laughs> they're getting lines and they have like plot points and subplots. And it's like, okay, I'm wing, I'm diving into the rabbit hole with these people, but it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun and I enjoy it. So why not? Now, uh, interesting thing about Kickstarter, crowdfunding has become extremely popular, even among, you know, more um, uh, mainstream, successful comic book writers. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think crowdfunding sites like Kickstarter should be more reserved for up and coming talent? Or is it the more the merrier? Uh, you know, I think my opinion has changed, honestly. Uh, when I first started, this is my second Kickstarter. I did one for the Wicked Righteous uh, graphic or collected trade uh, about three, four years ago. And during that time, I, I and it really, even this time, I was like clawing at it. It was like, oh, I don't really want to do Kickstarter because it's just, I get nervous and I'm not a good salesman and stuff. But, <laughs> but the first time it was like, I, I didn't want to do it. And I was like, this is a reserve for indie people. And I'm already with a publisher and I don't. I don't feel right about this. I don't feel right about doing it, but the publisher really pushed it. So we did it uh, and it was successful and it was fun and I enjoyed it. Uh, but as the years have gone by and I'm seeing more people and it really is a good way to build up a fan base to fill, to build not so much. I mean, the money's awesome. Don't, don't get me wrong, but building up a new eyes on something that you're putting out and people that normally may, maybe not, may not see your book uh, giving them that opportunity to get it in their hands. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, I think the a lot of the people that I've talked to, when they ask us questions, it's more like pointed towards like the Keanu Reeves book or, or something like that, or the Marvel books that are on there right now. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I do. I the, a big part of me, the the I guess the comic book lover in me is like the more the merrier. Uh, and I think that the more people that go on there for the Keanu Reeves book or the bigger name books you know, they're on there now. So they, you know, maybe they'll see my book and, and want to check it out too. So um, that's a long rambling answer for <laughs> the more the merrier, but <laughs> but I had to work through it. I had to find the answer in there somewhere. So what is your overall vision for Buddy as a character? Do you have uh, hopes or plans to continue the book um, beyond this first 30 page story? Yeah, no, we do have plans. We do have uh, other stories with Buddy in mind. The the short term, I guess, would be to to run it through the Kickstarter, see how it does. Uh, it, it, we're we're happy with what it's doing right now on Kickstarter and the status that it's got with the you know the project we love thing, and that's really cool. Uh, but the short term is to to find a publisher for it. Uh, we have a couple people that we're talking to, and then and then release the first miniseries through a publisher, and and then and then see what happens after that. But uh, I always try to leave like a little window open or a door open for anything I write, just in case. I want to revisit the world. 
Um, very few things I've ever written that I'm like, nope, this is it. Final, final draft right here. Now, besides Buddy, do you have any other projects cooking up? Something that you can tease for our audience? Sure, sure. I uh, have a few. So um, going back to the world of uh, Disposable Legends, it's uh, uh, I think we're looking at putting the, a graphic novel out for that. Uh, if not this year, then early next year. Uh, and it's like about 180 pages collected uh, collected graphic novel. And basically what that is, is it's a history's greatest warriors re- resurrected and they're fighting for our, our entertainment, like American gladiator type thing. Uh, so very different genre. It's more of a sci-fi type thing. Um, but what I'm I'm working on now, I'm, I've got my nerd hands in a bunch of different pots. But uh, I'm a dungeon master for a <laughs> for a for a homebrew Dungeons and Dragons game. So we are uh, actually working on a book uh, that's Dungeons and Dragon themed, uh, and that one should be coming out later this year. Terry, thank you so much for your time today. Where can folks go to support you, your work, keep up with your projects? Where can we find you online? Um, well, you can find me on any social media, I guess, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Mayo TL. Um, and then, of course, on Kickstarter, just look up Buddy or Terry Mayo, and he'll pop up with his cute little face, and then you go back him. All right, there you have it, ladies and gentle people. Uh, the book is Buddy by uh, Terry Mayo and Dave Schwartz. Uh, check it out on Kickstarter. Again, thank you so much for joining us today, Terry. Of course. Thank you for having me, guys. All right, folks. That's it for the Byword Big Talk. Stick around, and we'll have two more nerd commendations for you. And we're back, ladies and gentle nerds, for our favorite, perhaps, final segment of our show, Nerd Commendations, where Chris and I each recommend something nerdy that we both are enjoying right now. Chris, what have you got for us this week? Sometimes it, it can be difficult to to narrow down one thing for a nerd commendation or not to just re-nerd commend something that I love so much. As soon as I read this comic book, I immediately put it in our document because it was just that fantastic. You guys have to go right now and get you a copy, whether it's digital or physical, of Eve from Boom Studios, written by Victor Laval, um, and with art by Jomi Jung and colors by Brittany Peer. It, it, it's everything. Um, so since we had our interview with Ross Ritchie, who was kind enough to 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 give us some of his his time, Boom Studios has been much more on my radar when I hit up my LCS. Um, in addition to that, it was revealed. Um, at the end of March, that uh, writer and educator uh, Victor Laval would be joining the X line of comics for Marvel. So you know me, I'm biased. That immediately put him on my radar of, of people that I wanted to consume content from, kind of getting a, a frame of reference before he joined Marvel. Lo and behold, that has come in the form of Eve. Um, here is kind of the blurb for the, uh, you know, the advertisement. When the ice caps melted, most of humanity was lost to the hidden disease that was released. Now a mysterious girl named Eve has awoken in secret and must deal with a world that's nothing like the virtual reality she was raised in. In order to save her father, Eve must embark on a deadly quest across the country, but she has no idea of the threats that await her 
or the price she will pay to restore life to a dying planet. Eve is this 11-year-old girl who has been raised in a virtual reality system only to awaken to a world that is just completely gone. And the only companion that she has to help her on this quest to save humanity is an android teddy bear that was built by her father. So it's just leans into every bit of like sci-fi weird oddity. Um, and it's just, it's so cool and it's so innovative and it's so inspirational. And so like I did some deep dives on like the source material, like where, what was his inspiration for this? Um, and he said that he was inspired by young activists like uh, Mari Kopeni and Greta Thunberg and, and kids who want to create uh, a better world and a better future. It wasn't like this whole doom and gloom, we're all going to hell in a handbasket thing. He wanted to like lift people up and inspire us for change because he said, you know, that the kids are going to be the ones that save us. Um, and he said, quote, I didn't want to write some grim story about how the planet went to hell. I wanted to write a story about how we left, how we let the planet fall apart and left it to the younger generations to fix it. So this is not just like a doom and gloom type of dystopian. I think that's a tired trope when it comes to like young adult fiction or, or like sci-fi sometimes. It's like we get it. Uh, we've seen The Hunger Games. We've seen Divergent. It's, it's kind of all the same type of thing. But this was much more uplifting. And I instantly fell in love with the the character of Eve and her teddy bear. And I cannot wait to pick up the next issue. So Eve by Victor Laval from Boom Studios is one of the strongest nerd commendations that I've had in quite some time. Yeah, I'd not heard about this series, Chris, and I'm glad that you put it on my radar. I'm totally picking this one up. To me, sci-fi is always at its best when it has something to say about the human condition. And this book looks to do exactly that, asking hard questions about what kind of planet we are leaving for our children. On top of that, the whole android teddy bear visual alone has got me captivated. I love this kind of odd imagery. It reminds me a little bit of what they did in uh, Something is Killing the Children uh, with those stuffed animals that contained really a, a, a presence, a monster. Uh, those were really cool too. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what they do with this android teddy bear and what kind of personality it has and all that. You know, Boom Studios has been really on a roll lately. And I can't wait to pick this one up and give it a read, Chris. I, I, I totally agree with what you said about Boom Studios as well. The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Ninja Turtles crossover that I recommended last year was still the most fun that I've had reading a comic book probably ever. And I totally want to do a deep dive of their Mighty Morphin Power Rangers line because I've heard only great things about it as well. So I I love what they're doing over there. And it and they have like some really good creative folks over there. Um also uh the Abbott 1973 by Saladin Ahmed is one that's on my radar. I want to check out too. I love a good detective story. So like that looks awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm all there for boom studios. Dave, I'm super geeked about your nerd commendation and I already second it. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you're playing a video game, you're not necessarily looking for the greatest graphics of all time, full 4k 60 frames per second and all that and you're not really looking for the most innovative gameplay necessarily either sometimes you just need the video game equivalent of chicken soup for the soul and i recently found exactly that in 
New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe on the Nintendo Switch. Now, I've made no secret of the fact that I adore 2D Mario gameplay. One of the most important games of my formative years was Super Mario Land on the Game Boy. Now, don't get me wrong. I love me some 3D Mario, too. Super Mario 64 blew my mind back in the day. And I love Super Mario Odyssey for how much it calls back to that game. But when it comes to comfort gaming food, my sweet spot is 2D Mario. So New Super Mario Bros. U was originally released on Nintendo's ill-fated Wii U console. And then it was re-released for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, So recently I've had a lot going on, Chris, and it's been very, very difficult to find time to sit down and game. But the Switch being portable has made it possible for me to, you know, pun intended, stay in the game. And so I've been gaming more and more on my Switch. After months on my shelf, I finally decided to give New Super Mario Bros. U, now in a deluxe version on Switch, a spin. And as far as bringing some old-school 2D Mario gameplay, it doesn't really get much better than this. The graphics are absolutely gorgeous. Uh, The power-ups, including a flying squirrel suit, are a lot of fun. The music is typical, catchy Nintendo Mario stuff. And even the Koopalings for my all-time favorite Mario game, Super Mario Bros. 3 on the NES, make a return appearance here. You know, it blows my mind that I never get tired of the Mario formula. I love 2D Mario. And New Super Mario Bros. U is a fantastic example of the genre. For even more platforming fun, the game actually also includes New Super Luigi U, a whole other game that was released back in the year of Luigi and features, you know, a more difficult uh, level design. And it's all right here in one package, 164 platforming levels. I think I'm going to be busy for a while, Chris, but I tell you what, I'm going to enjoy every second of it. Yeah, I love I loved this game and... We talk. I feel like we talk about it every week since I got it. But like the Switch is probably one of the best investments that I've gotten. You know, entertainment wise, um, I, I just love it, and I love almost every Mario game that that I've gotten for it. Um, I I bought Odyssey on your recommendation, and I'm totally loving that. Um, but I'm I'm right there with you. I also, as much as I love the Mario games, I'm a Luigi guy. I've said it before. I need some Luigi in my life. So I may have to go get Mansion 3 uh, just because I need as much Luigi in my life. And I totally forgot about that feature that that you mentioned about Luigi. So I'm going to have to go. I've got this game as well. So I've got to go hit that up. And there's something just therapeutic, like you said, uh, uh, like soup for the soul that makes you feel all right. Um, Anytime that you pop this one in. And I also like the fact that you can, this one feels like a match for like the portability uh, it's easy to play on the handheld version. The 3D ones uh, make me a little bit dizzy trying to play on the handheld. So I feel better playing them, uh, you know, connected to the television. But the 2D one is pitch perfect for either one. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a stark reminder to me to also, you know, use that Nintendo Online subscription and play some of the classic Mario games from the NES and SNES, which they have featured on there as well. Because again, that kind of gameplay, it just it's an evergreen, man platforming good 2d platforming it never really gets old 
And, you know, here's hoping that they decide uh, for Nintendo Switch Online to eventually add the, some Game Boy games. I think it would be fantastic to add another console and the Game Boy, uh, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance. That stuff was portable to begin with and I think could really shine on the Switch. I would love to be able to jump back into good old Super Mario Land and, and enjoy that classic game one more time around. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly second that and and as far as bang for your buck goes like you can't go wrong with that it, i mean it's like 30 dollars for an entire year it's nuts there you have it that's it for another episode of the nerd byword thank you so much for joining us this week if you enjoy our show please be sure to give us a rating and a review on your favorite podcasting platform we're available wherever podcasts can be found including apple Podcasts, spotify tune in radio Amazon Music, Audible, and of course, our very own website, nerdbyword.com. You can also hit us up on social media at nerdbyword on Twitter and Instagram, individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris, respectively, uh, on both of those platforms as well. And we also want to send out another sincere thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting us. We recently hit the 2000 download. Uh, milestone and we couldn't do that without your loyal support and we thank you so much um, and be sure to tune in next week for our first annual nerdies um, and as always stay well and stay nerdy the nerd byword is written and produced by chris and dave two nerds with a love of all things pop culture the podcast features music by al Jimenez and show art by ashery design Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available.